Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, how are you today? Welcome to episode number seven of the Best Interest Podcast. I'm Jesse Kramer. I'm really excited today. It's the first episode where we have a guest, and today I'll be speaking with the one and only 5AM Joel. Joel is a writer of a terrific daily email and blog. Uh, He runs a couple other blogs on the side. And beyond those details, I really just want to let Joel introduce himself. So we talk about Joel's daily email, the accrual of daily positivity, and what it's like being a writer. We discuss some of Joel's most important ideas about personal finance and investing. We talk about our personal feelings on crypto, about Joel's uh, pros and cons in his own real estate investing. And then we also talk about money and happiness and some of the whys behind investing. Uh, Right now, I'm talking to you on March 20th, Saturday, March 20th, but Joel and I spoke on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. So with that, let's just get started. Let's get on with the show. All right, 5 a.m. Joel, how you doing, man? Good. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to meet you too. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. Uh, I'm excited that you're the first guest here on the Best Interest Podcast. And someday when Tim Ferriss or Oprah might be interviewing me and they say, who was the first person you interviewed? I'm going to be really excited to say it was 5 a.m. Joel. <laughs> Dude, it is an honor being the first. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm very excited. So thank you. Absolutely. So I think, Joel, I'm going to, you know, probably in the uh, opening credits, which you haven't heard, I'll probably give a a quick, quick intro into who you are. But I'm hoping you might be able to expand on that. And for the listeners out there, just give us a little, you know, whether it's an elevator pitch or just a little brief intro on on who 5AM Joel is and and, then kind of what your projects are and what you're all about. Uh, Yeah, sure. So um, I don't really have an elevator pitch. Actually, I haven't been inside an elevator in a year because of COVID, I just realized. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, you know, um, so born and raised in Australia. I live in Los Angeles now. Been sort of by chance, just popped around places. Um, my career and stuff was in sales, in tech sales, but I actually left that three years ago and haven't had a full-time job since. Uh, right now, I sort of stumbled across this new you can call it a career, but it's more like passion projects of writing. And so I run two blogs, a personal one, 5amjoel.com, and then um, then a more well-known one called budgetsaresexy.com, took over from J Money just last year. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing. And um, yeah, I got a lot of um, sort of hobbies and passion projects and stuff like that. I do a lot of mm-hmm. surfing in my time off and uh, do some volunteering and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's what's going on. And that's who I am. Right, right. And now budgets are sexy. That's how we met. I think originally I reached out to Jay Money saying like, hey, Jay, any chance I could write a guest post for budgets? He said, hey, you you need to talk to Joel. I think that's how (laughs) you and I met. But I did want to dig in maybe a little more on the personal site, 5AM Joel, because, uh, you know, I know the answer to this question, but why is it 5AM Joel? (laughs) 
I mean, I, it's just because I get up at 5 a.m. every day. I don't know. I was kind of like looking for a name to, to make my uh, daily notes public. And uh, it was all based around like getting up at 5 a.m. and writing something really quick and short and whatnot. So that's where 5 a.m. Joel was born. Uh, yeah, so I'm up early every morning, 5 a.m. And this, this sort of also happened by accident, but it's been about four years now since, uh, since getting up at 5 a.m. And every single morning, even on the weekends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you send out an email and this daily email that you send out, I mean, I, I, I subscribe, I've got, a, I guess, one daily email that I can think of off the top of my head is Seth Godin's daily email. And I've always been curious about people who send out these daily emails. I mean, do you think of it on the spot or, or some of it, do you think of it ahead of time? Does inspiration just kind of come to you on an individual morning and it's just, it's raw and, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's right there. Yeah, you know, um, someone someone the other day said to me, um, dude, when are you going to run out of things to write about? So I've been doing this for over a thousand days in a row. That's pretty, like, that's a lot of stuff to cover. And they were like, so when are you going to run out of stuff? And I was like, oh, crap, <laughs> that's a scary thought. Um, but then I thought, you know what? Um, that's kind of like asking, when are you going to run out of things to be thankful for? When are you going to run out of miracles that happen in front of you or things that you, you appreciate? When are you going to run out of happy thoughts? When are you going to run out mm-hmm. of people to thank? You know, these are like, the answer is never. I'm always going to have something to say, even if it's very small, short and crap. Uh, some of my <laughs> day, morning emails literally are just like, what's up, everyone? Have a great day because, you know, you're awesome. They're that simple and dumb. They're, they're not life-changing they're nothing, um, you know, they're nothing amazing by themselves. However, um, day upon day upon day upon day, the consistency grows. And so people are on my list. They've been on there for a couple of years. They've gotten 600 emails from me every single day. That's the, the real thing. It's the consistent positivity showing up in their inbox every morning. So that's truly the winner. It's not necessarily how great one particular message is. Mm-hmm. So instead of shooting for, you know, greatness every day in this massive thing, I really just want to just want to show people that, um, you know, a positive perspective is really how to lead a good day. And then we'll do it all again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So that's the daily thing. Okay. I like that. I like that. It makes me think of a couple things. I mean, one being that a body of work, I mean, it truly is. It's a body of work. It takes time. It, you know, it, it takes time to build up. It's not just one thing. And I saw this recently, odds are it was on Twitter, where someone said, you know, the, the, the peak performers, they aren't always at their peak. And if someone is always at their peak, well, it's because they're not really a peak performer saying, you know, only mediocre performers can, can put out their best every day because it's easy to be mediocre. So the whole idea of, you know, some days, something might flow off the top of your head and it's just amazing idea. And other days it's just a, what's up guys. You're great. Go watch the sunrise. And that's okay. You know, I certainly feel that way a little bit in, in the writing world where some days it flows and and some days it doesn't and that's okay. Yeah. Um, You know, here's another thing that um, just to give you a little insight from the writer's perspective. So um, I grew this email list accidentally. (laughs) This wasn't something that I had planned. Like, Oh, I want to be a blogger. Um, actually that's more like daily notes to myself. When I tell everyone to go have a good day, I'm really telling myself to go have a good day. So it doesn't matter when the, whether there's like thousands of people on my email list 
or even just one person on the email list. In fact, even if there was nobody on my email list, I'd still get up every single day and I'd send an email and it would go to just myself and it'd be like, hey, here's what I'm thankful for. Here is what's going on. Have a great day. Here's my positive note. Here's something I heard. And um, so I'm really in it for myself. And what I've found is um, people like it. They, they still read it. And I've got subscribers and things like that. But, um, you know, not one single message resonates with everyone. Sometimes I'll write what I think is the most beautiful, well-written, you know, post. And I'll get like 10 people unsubscribed that day. And I'm like, uh -huh. what? <laughs> and then some days I write the dumbest thing. And, uh, you know, I'll get 15 responses from people saying, thank you, you changed my perspective. Oh, I was having a really bad day until I read your email. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. what? <laughs> so anyway, um, you can never really guess what's going to be the best content for your audience. Um, so I just picture uh, that I'm writing to myself or I'm writing to a you know, couple thousand me's out there. And uh, that's really all I can do. Right. I, I can completely uh, relate to that. I mean, a little anecdote that when people ask me, how did the best interest start? The truthful answer is it started with me writing emails to myself or just writing, you know, long form to myself, convincing myself that I knew what I was talking about, about this investing idea or this personal finance idea, just to kind of get these ideas out of my brain. Occasionally, I'd forward those emails on to a couple of friends or someone in my family. And eventually they're like, just why don't you just publish this online? Like this is a blog post, just publish it somewhere. And then it's always there. And over the course of a few months, you know, the blog was kind of born. Um, and, and, and right. And I still do to this day, I would say, I write about things that I'm interested in. And I get lucky in the fact that a lot of the times other people are interested in them too. Um, which I know some, some people out there might say that's a little bit backwards that you should be writing for the audience first. I try to keep the audience in mind, but at the end of the day, I want to be happy with, with what I've written. And it sounds like the way, you know, you write about things that, that you would want to read or that you would find inspiring, positive to start your day. I mean, I yeah. can completely relate to that. Well, dude, um, let me say this, cause I, I hope, um, you've heard this before. And if you haven't, um, I need you to know that you're actually a, you're a very, very good writer. Um, you wrote a guest post for me on Budgets Are Sexy, which was awesome. You should link to that in the notes. What I like about it is um, it's very real. Um, I can see the way you think. And as I read your, uh, one of your posts, it goes in a, it flows in an order that I think that way too. So anyway, keep it up. And I'm even more stoked about your podcast because um because it's kind of like the next step. It's it's actually, a, it's a different medium, but um, again, reading your posts is the order in which I think of things as well. You're already answering my questions just as I have them. And it's the same with your podcast or the ones that I've listened to so far. So uh, yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing. I think you're on a good track and um, yeah, just keep doing what feels right. Cause you're, you're kind of, an, you're a natural. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. I mean, Thank you very, very much. Really. No, 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 um, yeah. As as you might know, I mean, you know, you're someone who creates stuff online as well. Sometimes if the if the financial motivation isn't there, the, the motivation that does keep you going is hearing nice things from listeners and readers, you know. And it, so it really does mean a lot. Um, so thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. It. <laughs> um well on that note. I mean, we're kind of transitioning into some of the some of the stuff that that I've written, and I know you know you're 
obviously running budgets are sexy right now, which is kind of geared more towards the personal finance side of things. So just out of curiosity, because it's, it's not something you, you always talk about on the 5am. Um, but my audience might be coming here for some more personal finance or investing or fire those kind of themes. So just broad strokes. I mean, what are a couple of your biggest kind of core beliefs when it comes to how to handle money in life, or maybe some things that you found successful when it comes to your own personal finances? Yeah. Um, so I guess when I'm, when I'm talking to people about the very, very basic principles, one of the, one of the biggest ones that has stuck with me and, and sort of led to my success was the, is the pay yourself first. Um, and I think this is even the first one of those, um, what's that book with the five laws of gold or whatever it is? Um, do you know what I'm richest, talking about? Is it the richest man of Babylon? I, yeah, it is. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I'll never okay. forget this, like, um, this, you know, as one of the laws, but it, you know, something like money you know, or gold cometh to the man who shall put <laughs> not but one tenth of their wages and for themselves or, you know, whatever it's written. It's pretty amazing though, because um, it doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter, you know, how big or small. Um, as long as you can siphon off a little bit of money for yourself first, you will never have to worry about money again. And so that's just one of the things. It's just basic saving. And so, yeah, that's just sort of one of the foundation things. You can be the best investor in the world, but it's not going to get you anywhere if you don't have any money to invest with. Um, so yeah, little, little things like that, you know, another one that, um, I feel is, is really big for me is giving. And this is something that, um, I grew up giving a little bit of money to the church, like tithes. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are a lot of people that think, you know what, um, I'm just going to give later when I'm rich. Um, I'll be really charitable as soon as I have, you know, $10 million. <laughs> and I think, man, if you can't give 10 cents out of the $1 that you have now, you will never, ever, ever give a hundred thousand out of the million that you have later. And so um, start now, start small, start giving. And uh, yeah, so those are, those are two that sort of come to me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the pay yourself first, I just kind of had this revelation I wouldn't, maybe not revelation, a realization the other day, I was looking back okay. at my, my February finances and I realized my spending was pretty high in February compared to previous months for, you know, a whole number of reasons, right? Okay. Some of them in my control, some of them out of, out of my control, but, and, and so I, I came close in February to spending every single dollar that came into my bank account, okay. but, but before that money ever came into my bank account, right? I had I'd maxed out my 401k. I, before that money, well, technically it's after the money comes into my bank account, but automatically I fund my Roth IRA. I fund my health savings account. And so I am paying myself first so that even in the worst case scenario, which is I spend every single dollar that ends up in my wallet, I still have that maybe 20 or 25% of my money that's been siphoned off, just like you said. And so it's like my worst case scenario is that I'm still in okay shape. My best case scenario is that I don't spend all the money in my bank account. And now I have even more savings than I would have otherwise. Yeah, I love it. So what, I mean, dude, what you've done is you've got your habit on such 
autopilot <laughs> that it's so normal you don't even need to think about it um that's why you should start early and that's uh that's why you'll be really successful is uh you know people who haven't been paying themselves first from the beginning find it very difficult to transition their mindset and think mm. oh i should do that uh but yeah having that on autopilot is awesome that's right. really cool right yeah and habit uh keyword there it's something I've, I've been harping on a little bit more, I think, since I started the podcast and certainly been harping on a bit more, maybe in the last three to six months on the blog, is just I, I've started to accept that psychological factor when it comes to personal finance and investing. You know, you can show someone what the optimum mathematical answer is to a certain question, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what are you comfortable with from a psychological point of view? What makes you sleep at night? Maybe when it comes to investing decisions. And then when it comes to maybe more of the personal finance and budgeting decisions, a lot of it comes down to what kind of habits have you gotten used to and what kind of maybe reward systems have you set up in your own brain to give yourself that pat on the back for doing the, the quote unquote right thing. Yeah, dude, I love that. Um, I read an awesome quote the other day that I haven't come across before, which is weird, but it's um, it was by, I want to say it's Benjamin Franklin or something. It is that your net worth is the difference between your good habits and your bad habits. It's actually uh, um, get all your good habits, subtract all your bad habits, and that is your your net worth or your value. I thought, man, that is so interesting. How can I increase my good habits, decrease my bad habits, so that I can increase that that worth, right? right. And uh, what a huh. wicked way to look at it versus yeah. just money net worth. Right. Sure. Sure. That is interesting, especially because uh, you think about the way that, you know, good habits tend to compound over time in some sort of positive direction and bad habits also compound, but in, <laughs> in the negative direction, just like your credit card debt might compound over time. And so I can see, right, the space between those two lines as they, as they move over time is going to be where you end up, right? It's going to be the sum of those two. Um, so that is interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, there's one more I'm going to give you for, uh, <laughs> I see a lot of people do is, um, or, and it's, and it's sort of my principle and maybe a bit of a backstory. I'm more of like a old 65 year old man trapped inside a 35 year old man's <laughs> body. So, um, I've got these like really long-term outlook on stuff and I'm very boring when it comes to investing and things like this. So one of the, one of my principles is, um, don't invest in things that you don't fully understand when you just throw your money into something that is um, sort of a, a romantic notion or some type of venture that you really doesn't quite make sense to you. Um, typically, you're going to lose more times than you win. And so, um, yeah, I, I want to fully understand what my money's doing before I go and invest in there. And same with time as well, right? I want to fully understand first. So, um, yeah, that'd be another principle I'd, I'd say is get your investing knowledge up, people. Um, it, it's not that hard and right. um, it will make the world of difference compounded over time. Absolutely. And that's, uh, I mean, you're, uh, you're paraphrasing or you're in the same wavelength as uh, Warren Buffett right there, right? Invest in what you know. He's kind of famous yeah. for saying that, that he's a, a Coke and French fries kind of person. And sure enough. <laughs> 
Berkshire Hathaway is invested in Coca-Cola and Heinz, Kraft Heinz ketchup and all these kind of like blue chip American brand companies. For the longest time, Buffett uh, refused to invest in tech stocks because he said, you know, I don't don't get it. I don't necessarily get the big internet boom thing. Um, Now he's invested in Apple. They've been invested in Apple for the last five years because I think they're starting to get it. You know, maybe maybe they have iPhones now out in Omaha and Warren finally gets the big deal. Um, but I, I, I completely I completely relate to that. The, the Bitcoin thing, for example, like I've been reading a lot more about cryptocurrency, trying to understand it myself, doing my due diligence. I think I do understand the way the blockchain works and some of the potential uh, benefits that we are going to get in the future from blockchain. Now, am I convinced that people, humans, normal people like you and me are going to be willing to put our money into Bitcoin when there are some, some uh, parts of Bitcoin where, you know, maybe if you lose your key, you're never going to be able to access your money again. Is the average citizen, is the average human going to be willing to do that? I have my reservations. And that's what makes me not want to fully commit to investing in crypto. And I see some people out there who I think have those romantic notions that you referred to earlier. And they say, like, listen, God, it's ju- it's got to go to the moon. It's it's just that's that's got to be the story of Bitcoin. And it makes me a little worried. I, I can't pull the trigger myself yet because I don't fully understand it or believe in it. Yeah, I think um, I I'm trying my best to understand it. Um, for everything that I think I understand, then I sort of realize that I don't know anything. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I need to go learn more and more and more and more and more and i've never crossed the 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 hump of being comfortable with cryptocurrency and i hope i do one day i want to see what it's all about and i want to do all that um i'm stoked that people are hopefully making a ton of money from it it's great mm-hmm. um and uh, i want to be a part of it you know, but I'm not going to do it until I fully understand it. I'm not going to do it until I'm fully comfortable with it. And if that means I miss out on, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the meantime, or even a million dollars in the meantime, I'm okay with that because I'm not going to bend my principle based on just other people making money. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't get it either. I just (laughs) like you, I've done a ton of research. I, I, you know, I understand (laughs) what it is. Um, I just don't understand the why yet. And I'm not going to invest without that. Sure, sure. That uh, makes sense. It makes me think of, uh, man, Warren Buffett gets a lot of free press on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah. he, he talks about investing. I don't know if you've heard this one before. He talks about investing being a no called strike game. And it's a baseball reference. So if, you're familiar, so if you're familiar with baseball, you can be a batter in baseball. And if the pitcher throws a pitch down the middle, of the plate, the umpire will call a strike against you, even if you didn't swing. Okay. And if you get three strikes called against you, you're out. You, that's been on your shoulder the whole time. You're out. You lost. Well, in investing, the pitcher, which is really like the market, can throw these stocks at you. Ford for 100, Apple for 1,000, Tesla for 3,000. And if you want, you don't have to swing at any of them if you don't like the prices. There are no called strikes against you. You can just sit there and watch the prices go by day after day after day, and you never have to worry about getting called out, your money still in your pocket. 
But then as soon as a stock or some sort of investment comes across your plate and you realize this is the perfect one, then you can swing and smash it out of the park. So when people would always say like, oh, Warren, why didn't you invest in Microsoft in 1990? He'd say, it's, it's no, there's no called strikes against me. I only make the investments that I'm fully confident in. And I don't take risks on pitches that maybe I'm not sure I can hit. Same Dude, idea. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That, um, that fear of missing out. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people have this, they have it in their personal lives and things like that also, but for investing, yeah, they're so worried that they, that they're behind for some reason. They're worried that they haven't done enough, saved enough, made enough. And even if they have done some great things, it's not good enough. You know, they want to mm. smash it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so yeah, I, I sort of think like, uh, yeah, big fan of Warren Buffett. Yeah. I think, um, deals and, and good value purchases for stocks and all that. It's they're, they're like buses. There's another one. If you miss it, there's another one. If you miss that one, there's another one. You can, uh, right. you, you just, you choose right. when you want to get on. It's, there's no problem. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and I, I don't actually, I don't really know your personal investing philosophy much, Joel, but mine that I've talked about on the blog is I am 98% in index funds. Whereas I don't even try to find the strikes or the balls when it comes to the baseball analogy, right? I'll just take everything and (laughs) the market goes up, market goes down over time. It goes up more than it goes down. I don't really have to worry about it that much. Uh, I think I'm going to get some of the best returns. I I think of this ratio in my head. I'm a math guy, right? And the, the numerator is the return on my investment. And the denominator is the stress that went into my investing. So the numerator is going to be really average because that's what index funds give you. And the stress in the denominator is going to be really, really small because index funds take all the stress out of investing, in my opinion. And so you end up with this great ratio because you have a pretty good number in the numerator and close to zero in the denominator. And and I'll take that, my two cents. Dude, I love it. I've never heard someone explain it like that before. You should write me a post exactly on that. And if you don't, I'm going to write a post and totally steal your idea. No, but I love it because um, actually I've been feeling the weight for some of my investments recently. And just to give you a, a very broad view, I'm about a little over 50% um, in real estate. Uh, some mm-hmm. of these are personal um physical rental properties that I own. And some of them are uh, larger uh, apartment complex deals and partnerships. Okay. So um, for the physical rental properties, dude, the, the stress, that denominator is mm-hmm. so high yeah. that whatever returns I get, even if it is a little bit higher than the market, doesn't actually equal a great investment in the long run. And I have to go through that year after year after year. It it doesn't get easier as you scale higher and have more physical real estate. Okay. So anyway, this is just my experience as well. So I've kind of like raced in a direction that um, I don't know, isn't really going to work out for me long-term. So I'm trying to move more into that passive side where my stress is as close to zero as possible. And that denominator is I'm okay with it being average because I'll still win versus the other way. Right. Right. Yeah. I can uh, definitely understand only owning my own house. I 
feel the stress associated with owning property. And that <laughs> there's always that little voice in the back of your head that says like, you know, the, the roof is probably leaking right now. I just don't know about it yet. <laughs> you know, I'm going to find out in three months or just something along those lines. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, try this. I've got, uh, I've got the majority of my places. So right now uh, we're down to nine uh, real estate um, investments. Um, more, um, the majority of them are in Texas. And you know what happened in Texas about a month ago? Mm-hmm. They had an mm-hmm. Arctic storm. That's like the worst storm they've ever had in 10 years. All these people died. All these, um, you know, properties are failing and pipes bursting and floods and like, I mean, it's horrible. It is, it is a disaster. Yeah. And so I was sitting here in sunny California while these people are freezing their asses off in my rent properties. They don't have power. They don't have water. Um, there's pipes bursting and whatnot. And I'm over here kind of stressed. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as I want to put it out of my mind, I'm responsible for that at the end of the day. I feel responsible for these people. I feel responsible for, you know, getting my house and their home back up to, you know, living standard. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I get it. And you own one property, like it just, it it sort of compounds from there. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe it. I can believe it. I, uh, my brother will probably end up listening to this episode. He and I have been having some conversations on the side of like, he's very hands-on. He's very, you know, he's a contractor by trade, very good around the house. And so we've been saying, you know, do we combine our money, combine our brain power and our skills to buy some sort of rental property? Probably here locally in, in the greater Rochester region. So at least we could drive there and, and see it ourselves, fix it ourselves if need be. But yeah, just the, that idea of, you know, the phone call in the middle of the night or the freak storm that now you are responsible for addressing is certainly something that um, is probably in the in the cons column of a pro-con comparison, right? Yeah. And uh, and yeah, sort of going back to your, your math before is even if you outpace the market, even if you get a few more points that return than the other thing, it mm-hmm. still won't be worth it per your equation. Um, hey, I, I've got a question for you because um, you appear to be, <laughs> and you probably are, um, you're a very sharp guy. You're very savvy <laughs> and you're well-researched. So like, it wouldn't surprise me if you actually told me that in addition to your index fund strategy for the long run, you were probably pretty good at picking individual stock picking. And, mm. and not, not so much trading, like day trading in, out, in, out, but mm-hmm. like you could probably off the top of your head right now, rattle off 10 stocks that are undervalued, that'll outperform the market. And you'd probably be right with half of them. <laughs> so, and uh, so anyway, what, so I guess my question is this, um, it's a few parts. Number one, yeah. Yeah. do you do any of that now or have you tried in the past how has it worked out for you? And why is that not your active strategy going forward? Sorry to throw nope. all the questions on you, but nope. I, I really am interested because you're yeah. someone that I'd probably take stock advice from. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, it's, so it's interesting you ask. So let me let me go a step or two backwards before your question starts even, which is, you know, I'm 25 and I really don't know what I'm doing or 22 technically really don't know what I'm doing. And my progression over time really quickly was uh, my dad advised me to start in a target date fund. So I did that made sense to me. 
Then I started reading uh, John Bogle, who was the founder of Vanguard, really commercialized index funds. Burton Malkiel, who wrote A Random Walk Down Wall Street and provided some academic support for index investing over actively managed mutual funds. And their stance is basically, for the average investor, you can't beat the market just by an index fund. So that's what I've done. And then about a year ago, I bought uh, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, who was kind of the mentor to Warren Buffett. And Benjamin Graham's whole stance, which is how Warren Buffett started his career, is that you can look at the fundamental um, characteristics of a company and some of their fundamental accounting numbers, their fundamental financial numbers, and you can determine what the quote-unquote right price for that stock is. And hey, if it's underpriced, buy it. And over time, if you do it enough with enough different companies, those companies will tend to revert back to their mean or where they should be, and you'll make money. So that's the whole value. That's what people call value investing, right? Have I tried it myself? I haven't. Okay. Uh, have I wanted to? Yes. And, and will I in the future? Maybe. Uh, probably. I'll say probably. Um, what I think I might do is something that John Bogle advised people do. Take some small percentage of your nest egg. Yeah, 5% or less probably is what I'll end up doing. And that's quote unquote play money, right? So if my, if my investment nest egg is a quarter million dollars, then I'm going to take about 10,000 of it and try to beat the market. Worst case, maybe I lose a percent or two and my 10,000 turns to 9,000, something like that. And, and, but, but the rest is invested in index funds and will be safe and sound over time. Um, my, my hesitation in, in pulling the trigger sooner is just when I peruse, whether it's other blogs or Reddit or Twitter, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, Joel, who are pretty darn convinced they know what, <laughs> what stocks to pick and what's right and what's wrong. And those are just the, the people on Twitter who are like you and me, probably, right? They have other things they're doing by day and by night they're saying, you know, why the hell aren't you invested in Tesla right now? And forget about the fact that there are all these guys on Wall Street who are looking at these companies for 80 hours a week, trying to figure out if it's the right time to buy or the right time to sell. And even they can't agree, right? Uh, a, good, a good thing that I point out, try to point out on the blog is I could ask you right now, Joel, I don't know what Tesla's priced at. Let's say it's priced at 1500 bucks. So why is it priced at 1500 right now? <laughs> You know, no, I have no clue. Neither do I really. But a very simple way of looking at it is that half of the people out there who are trading Tesla think it's a good time to buy at fifteen hundred, and the other half think it's a good sell at fifteen hundred, and their supply and demand curve meets in the middle, and that's how the price is set at fifteen hundred. So if there are a bunch of experts out there who think buying at fifteen hundred is smart, and there are also a bunch of experts who think selling at fifteen hundred is smart. How am I supposed to go in there and argue with half those people and say, no, no, this one is the right one to do? It's, it's a tough question. It's a tough question. Yeah. Um, this is a long-winded <laughs> answer, too. <laughs> no, and that's okay. And, you know, I, I've messed around myself, but I can't say that I've made any huge um, you know, investments, certainly not 5% of my net worth. Mm -hmm. And um, the other struggle I feel, though, 
is that it could become a little addictive. So let's say you throw $10,000 into, I don't know, a couple of stocks that you see that there's tremendous value there. Mm-hmm. You've done a ton of research. You really believe that these are going to do well. So you buy, buy $10,000 worth of stuff. And then you think, well, and because they're so well-researched, you're not going to make money overnight. You're actually in it for the long haul. So the month later, you're like, well, these really haven't skyrocketed yet. They're doing okay, but they haven't skyrocketed. Or maybe you are beating the market. Maybe you're achieving like a 9% return the first year and the average market is like at a seven. Mm-hmm. So you're like, you're cheering, but you kind of want more. So you think, you know what? I'll take another 10,000. I, I want to leave those stocks in place, but I'll take another 10 to go with just a little bit more. Or you may you may even be smart and say, no, 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 I'll quit while I'm ahead, but I'm going to use that, that 10,000 to go do it again somewhere else. So you chop and change, you buy and you sell and you start breaking your own rules a tiny bit, which leads right. you to breaking your own rules a tiny bit more and a tiny bit more. And then you're sort of rewarded sometimes for the these like wrong things that you're doing. Right. And then you sort of get addicted. So I, I like how you've held strong and, and whatnot. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, right, we're in the middle of a record, if not close to record, bull market. And sure. it is... Yeah. It is easy to be right right now. You know, it's easy to be right. And I, I, I don't know. I feel sometimes I feel like a contrarian. Sometimes I feel like a, a conservative bear when maybe I shouldn't be. But some of, you know, some of my friendly acquaintances on Twitter, for example, who are, who are making these big, what I would consider big bets, and they're working out for them. And they're kind of looking at me and saying like, listen, man, indexing looks pretty dumb right now, doesn't it? And I want to say like, yeah, it looks dumb right now. And it looks dumb for the last five years compared to picking Tesla. I get it. But man, have you ever thought about, you know, the way coin flips work and just the way, like, I I just try to think of it from that point of view. And and the coin flip analogy, I guess, is just one of, you know, if, if me and you and 50 of our friends, Joel, got in a room together and started flipping coins, someone in there would get six or seven heads in a row. It's going to happen. And that person could look like a genius. Of course, we all know it's just coin flipping. It's just random chance. Um, and I'm worried that a little bit of that is going on right now when it comes to people picking individual stocks. And they might not be fully aware that they're, they're really coin flippers that, and that luck is kind of falling on their side right now. And it, it could potentially be a pretty painful lesson if and when things start going the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, as well, I've sort of uh, hit the point and I don't know if you've hit the point in your journey or if, if you're close to it, that I've realized that I'm always going to have enough already. Mm-hmm. And um, so the difference in lifestyle between having enough and then having too much isn't, isn't actually that much of a difference in my lifestyle. The difference between having I'm just going to pull numbers, but the difference between 10 and $20 million isn't actually that much. I'll still live in the same similar type of house and do the same type of activities. It's not Mm -hmm. going to, it'll make me more money, but uh, it won't really change my happiness or add all these new things to my life. So once I've got enough, why worry about money anymore? And I've already on a trajectory to have enough or maybe even too much. So why try and outperform the market? It would only be to speed up my fire timeline, which you know I don't really care too much about. 
uh, would only be to grow a bigger pile, but mm -hmm. I've already determined I have enough. So what's the point of it all? What, what do I really want to achieve? I could give away a lot. I could, I could prove to myself um, that I can, you know, study hard and beat the market and do these cool things. But uh, yeah, it's not, I don't really have a burning desire to go be a successful, you know, overnight millionaire. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I understand. I understand. Um, yeah. And I, I think largely I'm in the same boat where my motivation for doing it, I'm not sure what my motivation for doing it would be. And maybe I have a little bit of a loss aversion, which is that the idea from the, the behavioral economists, right? The Danny Kahnemans of the world where people are often, they feel worse about a hundred dollar speeding ticket then they feel good about a $100 lotto ticket. We, we humans don't like losing stuff. And, yes. and to some extent, I'm happy with indexing and the fear of, of losing big on some sort of individual, potentially ego-driven ego investing choice isn't quite worth it for me. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, um, you know, not to blab on about the, the emotions <laughs> behind it all, but, but I actually sort of had this um, epiphany the other day about the why of investing. Um, so I was browsing sort of the Wall Street bets Reddit thing yep, uh, after yep. the big GameStop thing. And uh, I was just looking at everyone's comments and all these people that have lost a ton of money, um, you know, because they were, they were essentially gambling, um, mm -hmm. And, I, and, you know, and they were saying some things like, you know, well, why me? Everything I invest in just turns to shit. Like, why, why is that? And they'll mm -hmm. even say, I tried indexing just like you. I've tried, Jesse, I've tried your strategy and I still lost. Why? And um, the only thing I can think of is the reason they're playing the game. So it's either you're doing it wrong or you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And if you look at why they invested in GameStop is because of these reasons. Um, one was like sort of greed. They wanted to make money very, very quickly and be an overnight success. Two was revenge. They mm. like some of them are convinced they want to pay someone else, like teach someone else a lesson. These big Wall Street assholes, I'm going to, you know, bet against them. Right. So revenge. Um fear of missing out is a big one like they're so nervous that this is their one opportunity to get rich so they quickly have to get a you know get in before whatever or get out before whatever so they're highly emotional and all these reasons um are not great <laughs> not great reasons to invest and so it leads them to do um to make silly decisions timing decisions and things like that right um versus someone with good intentions could do this exact same thing. They could bet on these or they could uh, invest in these same strategies, but actually be really successful. I know a lot of house flippers that are really successful. I know a lot of stock traders that are really successful. I actually spoke to a girl the other day who made $1 million on GameStop alone in like the course of a couple months. Right. She started buying early GameStop stock. She saw value in there, and then all of a sudden, it just blew up. Mm -hmm. She's she's hit financial independence. Her reasons for doing this is because of deep value. It was long term buy and hold. She had all the motivation. She had the right understanding and knowledge going into it. She had no greed. There was no fear involved. There was no revenge. Nothing nasty like that. She certainly didn't even want to get rich quick. 
she saw an opportunity and it was very like long-term thinking the way that she played it all out and and did everything so anyway i guess the motivation or the motives behind her actions and uh, successful people's actions are always positive versus negative and anyway it's just pretty interesting to think about because um yeah when i question myself on why do i want to buy bitcoin or why do i want to do this risky thing is it because i'm hoping is it because i'm wishing is it because i'm fantasizing or is it because i actually believe and i'm well studied and i'm thinking long term etc et right right anyway so oh, i just want yeah. to a lot I, of I need to <laughs> Yeah, I need to get my um, my thoughts in order to write a blog post about this because I want to tell people to try and um, this this could be the reason why you're losing money out there on the same strategies where people are making money, mm-hmm. and that's that might be eye opening for you. Right. No, it's good. I mean, it's a lotto lotto ticket conundrum for some people, right? Uh, if people bought lotto tickets because they were uh, intrinsically motivated or not intrinsically motivated but if they intrinsically believed that lotto tickets were a good investment well someone would need to pull them aside and, and run through the math with them and show them the error of their objective math that's not why people invest in lotto tickets they invest because their fingers are crossed that that will be the one that'll make them rich and that <laughs> right that is not a uh, a rational investing strategy right yeah yeah um a quick plug. I mean, you, you brought up the GameStop short squeeze or just the GameStop, the whole scenario in general. I'll throw a quick link to any listeners. I'll throw a link in the show notes with a little, a very simple kind of Q&A. If, if you're curious about how the kind of some of the mechanisms behind that, um, not only of why people bought, but kind of why the price skyrocketed. It's kind of wild getting into some of the mechanisms of how Wall Street works and how people can bet long on a stock but people can also bet short people can bet against stocks and traders on one side of the trade can try to squeeze the others it's very it's, it's wild i think for the average person um so i'll throw yeah, a link th- in the show notes for that <laughs> yeah and I, you know i'll second that that's not a plug that's just giving good resources uh, i i think thanks for your research on that and uh, very good write-up so uh yeah check it out cheers thanks thanks well if you're up for it, Joel, we can move into uh, what I've deemed speed round, which I think are awesome. just, you know, a fun, a fun, some fun questions. I mean, feel free if you want to, if you want to expand on your answers, feel free. But if you've got a two word answer, that is also perfectly fine. You some... hit me, rattle okay. them off as fast right. as you can. Go. All right, Joel. So here we are on March 17th, 2021. Let's fast forward a year. March 17th, 2022, St. Patrick's Day. What is the S&P 500 going to do between now and then? <laughs> it's uh, it's going to go up, up, down, down, up, down, a little bit of sideways, up some more, down some more. And, and that's what it's going to do. It's going to be a wild year. <laughs> uh, survey, you know says, survey says you're correct. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, no, actually, this is funny. We should get on a podcast one year from now. You should invite me on as a guest. We'll do it as your one-year anniversary. And then um, we'll, we should look at this. And I'm just going to throw a number out, and you should throw a number out. I'm going to okay. say positive 11% from where we are today. What's nice. your number? Okay. My number is actually going to be um, – pl- uh, I'm actually going to go minus 4%. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I'm right for both our sakes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, nice. (laughs) 
My prediction is the economy is going to get lit on fire by the end of COVID and the fiscal stimulus, but the stock market already has that priced in and it's actually going to drop a little bit. Okay. This is fun. It's, it's on the record. It's on the record, Joel. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Next question. What's the last thing you spent $100 or more on? We talking the physical uh, item or like, uh, like what? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, let's make it let's make it a physical item. Okay. Um, I, it's honestly that's that's tough. You know, taking away gifts and stuff for other people for Christmas. I do not spend that much money on. Hey. I, here you go. I actually bought in November. I bought a new wetsuit for myself, and wetsuits are friggin' expensive. I but bet. I waited for um, Black Friday or Black, or Cyber Monday or something like that. And I got a, I got a wetsuit. I think it was like 450 bucks or something. And it was put down to $147, I want to say. So nice. pretty stoked, but over a hundred dollars and yeah. Nice. All the, all the finance nerds are, are really rocking out to that fact right there. That's a big discount. Everybody Woo-hoo. likes that. Now is that, and that's because you surf, right? That's a surfing wetsuit. Yeah, the last wetsuit I, uh, I bought lasted me uh, four years, and I was pretty stoked. That's like four seasons in the water, and I surf for a couple times a week, so that's 200 surfs, let's say, and that's that's pretty good for a wetsuit. Nice. Yep. Very good. Um, let's see. Next question. Oh, this is a good one. What is your end of the pandemic celebration going to that's- look like? So that's easy. And you're going to get an invite. I'm going to Vegas. Oh. Um, <laughs> dude, wow. Dude, my, my wife and I love Vegas. It's only okay. four hours from LA. We yeah. can fly in or drive in really easy. And we just, uh, you know, basically uh, hit the craps tables for a little bit, hit the pool for a little bit, walk the strip, laugh, free drinks. I mean, Vegas is awesome. And we haven't had to, we haven't gotten to do it because of COVID. So right. uh, yeah, I think right. we're going to do Vegas and we'll have some other people come with us. That is awesome. I can imagine that Vegas is going to just pop. Like I, I can't even imagine right in the next year or two, just everybody is going to be going on all these trips. There's going to be so much kind of cathartic release over the next few years. Tourist destinations, I imagine you're going to just light on fire and Vegas is right at the top of the list. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about it, but yeah, I'm probably one of one of millions who are going to be the same. Yeah. Hey, hey, buy your tickets now while they're cheap maybe, you know. <laughs> um, good plan. <laughs> okay, here's here's a here's a good one. Let's let's get to know your culinary side a little bit. What's your go-to for a simple and delicious meal? Bonus points if you cook it yourself. Oh, uh, um, do I have to think it's do, do other people have to think it's delicious or just me? Because no, just you. I got some weird tastes. Oh yeah, just you man. Okay, yeah. here's here's my go-to. Um, well, you've heard of Sloppy Joe's, right? Yep. I yep. made up a long time ago Sloppy Joel's, and <laughs> is basically um, like the best way to describe it is is basically like a meat sauce that you make with ground beef and some sort of like pasta sauce mixed in, and you pour it on top of toast. It's so weird. Ooh. And you eat it with a knife and fork. A um, little bit of cheese on there if you'd like. So that's my like go-to. But I haven't had to make it in a while because my wife does all the cooking um, here. And she is she's a big foodie. And she experiments with all types of wicked recipes. She loves it. It's like her passion. So I'm so lucky. Yeah. 
That is, um, that's nice. <laughs> that, <laughs> does, does she have an opinion on the sloppy Joels? Yes, I think that's why she's foodie and she does cooking is to keep me out of the kitchen and <laughs> that you can understand why now. So <laughs> I, can, I can, I can. But hey, you know, I, I like the idea. I love the name. I love a good pun. Sloppy yeah. Joel, I'm a, I like it. Sure. Um, <laughs> what's, uh, what's one good habit you're trying to form or a bad habit you're trying to break? Hmm. Can we can we get a little um can we get a little dirty on this one? I, I mean, don't yep. want to gross people out, but here's a bad habit I'm trying sure. to break. Um well it's kind of started with don't bring your phone to bed because I end up laying there like on my phone for 45 minutes before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that sort of bled into stop bringing your phone everywhere, like on walks with your dog around the park or whatever. And this led to um don't bring your phone into the bathroom with you. So this is like this habit I'm trying to break because, you know, like um, when you're working and whatever, you like run to the bathroom to do a quick like break, yeah. a bathroom yeah. break. Yeah. But you're also like taking a break from work. So you grab your phone and you're checking your phone while you're, you know, going to yeah. the bathroom. And I just think it's disgusting and we shouldn't have bathroom, like phones in the bathroom. So anyway, that's you're a right. bad one that I'm just trying to break. That's a great one. And I think you're right on all points. I just think about myself, right? <laughs> I waste time before bed on my phone when I should be reading or just trying to fall asleep. I bring my phone on dog walks. Sometimes I like it listening to podcasts, but sometimes I should just unplug. Um, and yeah, I bring my phone. I've sat on the toilet with the phone in my hand plenty of times. It's disgusting. I agree <laughs> yes. with you. All right, Joel, we can do this together. Let's <laughs> let's break the habit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty gross. So sorry to um, overshare, nope. but you know, no, there you go. not at all. You could have gone when you said you were going gross. There were a lot of options you had to go, but that one I think is very relatable for a lot of listeners. So, (laughs) and then last one, uh, what is a message that you would put on a billboard to share with the world? What would you Uh, say? I got two more. I could fill a whole billboard with quotes and messages. Like 12.5. All right. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) there'd be car accidents and stuff. Um, okay, here's one, you know, this is a common one that I heard that everyone knows. Um, but it but America needs to hear it more and more and more, which is stop buying things that you don't need with money that you don't have to impress people that you don't even like. I feel like uh that's <laughs> as simply as you can put it. It covers so many basics around personal finance, comparing yourself to others, you know, buying things for the wrong reason, minimalism, all that good stuff. So that's the quote I'd go for. That is perfect. You I must love have that heard quote. this before. I have. I have. Yeah. I've used it myself. When that time in the week comes when I need a, a platitude for my Twitter account, I've used that one before. And that <laughs> one, I mean, that's the thing is, though, that's not. I guess you could call it a platitude because it's been reused, but it's so concise and it is so perfect, right? It's a perfect billboard quote. Just because I think everyone is probably guilty of some portion of it in their life. Uh, We all have things. If you look around, you probably have things in your room right there that you just don't need. You've spent money that you don't have before. Everyone buys on credit and things like that. They owe people. And then, you know, impressing people that you don't even like. I don't know what it is, our need to impress others, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if we don't even like them. Right. Uh, You know, we just (laughs) need to stop. So it's not just one that I'd hang on a billboard 
but it's one that I'll paint on my own freaking bedroom wall that I see every day because it's a message I need to read as well. Right. No, that's terrific. Joel, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you, man. I really, really appreciate you being on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, looking forward to staying in touch. Really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. How, how can people reach you uh, if, if someone wants to reach out after this? Yeah, sure. So my personal website is 5amjoel.com. I blog there daily and there's a contact form there if you want to shoot me a note. Um, the, my professional blog or, uh, for work is budgetsaresexy.com. And uh, you can reach me there and subscribe. That one's more personal finance focused. Excellent. Sounds great. All right, Joel. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. A year from now, let's, let's, all right, listeners, we got plus 11% from Joel, minus 4% for Jesse. That's the S&P. We'll probably have a couple predictions to come back to as well that I can't remember right now, but let's book it a year from now. If I don't see you in Vegas first, we'll see you back here. <laughs> see you then, Jesse. Cheers. All right, man. Joel. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, this is Jesse again after the show. Got to give another huge thank you to Joel. That was uh, so much fun to, to record. Uh, listeners, I think you probably heard the, uh, the fun that Joel and I had. I hope it was as entertaining and informative for you as it was for us. So if you want to reach out to Joel, I will include the contact info that he just talked about in the show notes. If you want to uh, reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter, username bestinterest underscore jc. And I'm hoping you wouldn't mind also doing a quick favor for me. I know I've already stolen an hour of your time with this podcast, but I'm hoping I could ask for one more minute, and that minute would be spent on rating and reviewing this podcast. Yes, I know everybody and their mother asks you to rate and review their stuff. And the reason why is pretty simple. More ratings and more reviews of the podcast gets this information out to more listeners, and that's better for the best interest, and I'm really hoping to build this into a project that helps a lot of people in the long term. Uh, So if you wouldn't mind taking that quick 30 seconds or a minute to leave a rating or review, I'd really appreciate it. Or of course, I mean, by all means, feel free to share this content with other people in your life, your friends, your family, your Aunt Ethel. Uh, Feel free to share Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, LinkedIn, snail mail, telegrams, AOL, whatever it is. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And sharing with others, that's investing in their knowledge. So thanks, Joel. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode number seven of the Best Interest Podcast. 